We're going to turn this morning to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 22 through 35 this morning. I mentioned at the start of December that Luke records four songs in the opening chapters of his gospel, and we've studied three of them so far. Mary's song, Zechariah's song, the song of the angels, and then uh, you'll remember, of course, in each of those that it's something of a testimony of what God does in sending his own son to earth, to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And each of them, in that sense, speaks of God's glory in salvation. So today we're going to conclude this series with the fourth of these, Simeon's song. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem 33 days before the events that we're about to read. He was circumcised on the eighth day in keeping with the law. And now Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple for purification rites and also to present him to the Lord. In Simeon's song, we learn that salvation means comfort in the depths of our souls. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. This is God's word. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. Let's pray for the help of his spirit. God in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for what has truly happened on this day and in this song. We pray now that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what your spirit would say to your people. And God, again, I ask that you would use a sinful, crooked stick like me to point the narrow way to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Studying this passage this week, I was struck by the fact that that so much of life on this earth is actually bound up in some kind of waiting for comfort, waiting for things to get better. Some of you have waited by the phone, waiting to hear from the doctor, hoping that you're going to get some good news to calm your anxious thoughts. Or it could be as simple as you've been in meetings all day, no time for lunch, You're waiting to fill your stomach so that your stomach will have some sense of comfort. Or you've been sick. There's a lot of that going around right now. You sit there waiting for the medicine to work. 
waiting for your fever to subside, your nose and lungs to clear, you're waiting for comfort, or you lose a loved one and you know the sense of of waiting for God to comfort you in your grief, so much of life really is bound up in waiting for a sense of, of real deep comfort. And it seems that those who are longing for comfort actually know that this is proof of two things. Number one, the severity of the fallen world in which we live, that things really are not as they're supposed to be. And then number two, that you really were made for a a better place. And you were. The challenge that most of us face is that while we wait for comfort, we grow tired of waiting and longing for comfort, we begin to seek comfort from things that were never intended by God to bring comfort to us at all. Probably your own sin patterns would tell you something about the idols in which you seek for comfort. The things you lust after, the things you binge on, or the things that you try to purge or free yourself of. You might be looking for comfort in a sense of control Comfort in some sense of power or a sense of ease in a world which promises you no ease. And I say all this because Simeon, like you, is waiting for comfort. And yet he really is waiting in the precise way that God called him to wait. I don't mean to say that he's waiting with no sin or that his faith is perfect. But when Luke says in verse 25, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, it means he's actually hanging on tightly to the things that we read in Isaiah chapter 40. That there would be a day coming when when God would pour forth comfort upon his people. A day when, when wars would really come to an end, when sin would be pardoned, when God's glory would be revealed, when he comes with a kind of might to rule over his people with tenderness, even as the other arm of might judges his enemies and punishes them in justice. You hear that and you, you get the sense that Simeon is waiting for the promise of shalom. The promise that in the end God will make all things right. What can you learn from a man who is righteous and devout, a man who's waiting like this for comfort? Sitting at my desk this week, I learned I'm not very good at waiting for comfort. And yet none of us are. Simeon's song says you can trust God's sovereignty. You can trust God's providence. You can trust his timing. But most of all, you can trust that God really will do Everything that he has said he would do. When you experience the comfort of God's works fulfilled, you rest in peace. We're going to walk through the text with three points this morning. The setting, the song, and the stone. We'll start with the setting. The setting really is, if you, if you pick up on it, it's a testimony of God's sovereignty and his providence. It's, and it's easy to gloss over. But it's the landscape, it's the backdrop upon which every other detail of the passage is painted. And you notice it first in verse 22. Why are Mary and Joseph in Jerusalem? Because it was time for their purification in the law of Moses. That's Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3 through 4. It says that after the birth of a baby boy, there's 33 days of purification before the mother can be ceremonially clean for worship in this sacrifice which comes when they offer then when they come into the temple that day is also to coincide with presenting the baby to the lord at the temple because exodus 
13 says, every firstborn male would be set apart as holy to the Lord. Mary and Joseph have no idea just how set apart this firstborn son is. In fact, he is more holy to the Lord than any firstborn has ever been. Not only because he is set apart by being a firstborn, but because he is God in flesh. A seed implanted in the virgin by the Holy Spirit. Jesus does not inherit original sin. And so you might wonder, well, then if all of these ceremonial laws were were meant to, to tell God's people about sin, then why in the world does Jesus have to go through it? He's got no sin, you say. Remember our study in the book of Mark. Jesus went out to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And and John's confused. Wait a second. We should switch places here. You should be baptizing me, he says. To which Matthew chapter 3 records that, that what took place there was that Jesus said, well, this is happening and must happen in order to fulfill all righteousness. Which means what? Which means that Jesus is so dead set on identifying with his people that he will do all that is required. In fact, over and above, no person will ever repent enough for baptism to cleanse them of their sins. Jesus enters down into the waters of baptism to be the one true son whose heart is always humble, whose heart is always obedient to his father in heaven. In fact, that's the whole essence of repentance. My heart is not obedient. My heart is not humble. The very essence of repentance is to cling to Christ. That's actually why he's circumcised on the eighth day. It's why there's purification at day 33. Because no one ever took on circumcision perfectly from the heart as it was meant to be put. To to live in such a way that my flesh, my, my old man of sin is cut away. And it's thrown off. Everything that I was in Adam is thrown away. Jesus will identify with his people even in this And he will be cut as no son of Adam was ever cut. No son ever so faithfully separated himself from fleshly desires as Jesus did. And no son was ever so willing to be cut for your sin as Jesus was. And all these other purification customs that we would read about in Matthew or Luke. They mean the same thing. There's a son who comes to God to be perfectly presented to the Lord in, a, in a, a true and real service. And so the first thing you notice about the setting is that Jesus puts himself there in order to identify with sinners like us. And these customs and these rituals may not mean very much to people like you and me. But you can rest assured that in the eyes of God, what they communicate is that this is the perfection of a son who could be your savior. Faithfulness from the beginning in a way that you have never been faithful. And this whole setting of of temple and ceremony, even the timing is designed by God for salvation of sinners. But also so that Simeon would meet Jesus. And in meeting Jesus to comprehend in him that God's works are accomplished. Verse 25. His name is Simeon. His address is Jerusalem. 
And then Luke gives us four little descriptors about the man. First, he's righteous and devout. That never means he's sinless, but rather he's got a heart of humility. His, his heart is, is sensitive, tender, hungry to know the Lord and to walk with him. And you have a culture which values nothing of the sort. It values nothing of humility. But if you think of yourself as a Christian, it's, it's actually humility which describes your heart toward God. Because as James said in our assurance of pardon, the Lord gives grace to the humble. Secondly, he's described as, as waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that, and that term consolation of Israel takes us right back to Isaiah chapter 40. Context of our Old Testament lesson was the exile. God's people are exiled in Babylon because of their own sin, because of their own rebellion. And God sends a word to, of comfort to his people. It's not always going to be like this. I'm actually going to redeem you. And here is Simeon living hundreds of years later, aware that this wasn't just about the Jews getting out of Babylon. Hope in Christ means that, that ultimately and fully and finally through the Messiah, God will console every sin-sick soul that clings to him in faith. Do you ever hate your own sin? You ever hate sin in general? How it scars, how it corrupts God's creation? then you know something of Simeon's longing. And then you can see why he's here on the pages of Luke's gospel. Here's a great example of what faith actually looks like. It's desperately waiting. And Philip Ryken says, this is what it means to be a believer. It means waiting in faith for God to do what he's promised. Third, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 25. In fact, that's, that's Old Testament language for the way that God would often in the Old Testament send His Holy Spirit to accomplish certain things through certain people at a specific way. Simeon was anointed by God to be a prophet on that day. That is not the same as the way the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. This is God using a man's mouth to say what God wanted to be said on that day in the temple. Fourth. 26, the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he saw the Christ. If, if Isaiah 40 is a general revelation to anyone who would have ears to hear and listen, here's a very specific revelation from the Holy Spirit to this man in this moment, in a special time, and a special place. Why did God do that? So that Simeon and everyone who ever heard the story would see and notice the fingerprints of God. It was the Lord who caused the setting. It was the Lord who brought these participants. It was the Lord who brought the timing and converged all of those things together in verse 27. Look at it. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. You see, holding Jesus, Simeon blesses the Lord for bringing about this meeting. Do you not know that this man has been walking the streets of Jerusalem? He's been hovering around the temple. He's been watching parents. 
as they present their child to the Lord. And he's been doing it for some time. I don't know if they had a word to describe creepy. But your culture would say that. And I wonder if there were not silent prayers, quiet prayers. Lord, is, is that the Christ? Lord, is that the Christ? But you recognize in this that, 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 that peace suddenly overwhelms Simeon because God brought all these events together so that this man could see and hold the Christ. And he says, what a comfort it is to my soul. God really did fulfill everything that he promised he'd do. And we read about this on the pages of Scripture, but do not ever forget this is actually always the way it happens. What I mean is that every single time a person ever comes to meet the Lord Jesus, to embrace Him in their hearts, it's always because Almighty God governed the setting, His sovereignty, His providence governed the events and the timing and even the desire to meet Jesus. You see, friends, if you have met Jesus, it's not because you figured out how you could find Jesus. It's not because you figured out how you could make a decision to follow him. You met Jesus because God is almighty. And if it were up to Simeon, if it were up to you, you could certainly have never ordained the events. You could never have ordained the timing. You certainly would never drum up within your own soul a desire to find him. Verse 27 is Luke's way of saying, all of this was perfectly orchestrated by God. In fact, you can't study the song of Simeon without acknowledging the setting of the events. The song itself is, is, is written upon the parchment paper of God's sovereignty, of God's providence. It's the backdrop upon which the prophet writes these words. When you experience the comfort of God's works fulfilled, you rest in peace. So we've looked at the setting. Now let's turn and look at the song. It's been called a, a hymn of prophetic praise to God. And the subject of the song is, is the praise of the joy of seeing the Messiah. And in seeing the Messiah, knowing that this is the fulfillment of, of all of God's word. Apart from the Lord's Supper, which we will partake of tonight after the lessons in Carol's service. You and I have very few opportunities to touch and tangibly hold in our hands a fulfillment of God's word. Uh, sure, many of you can describe things that the Lord has done in the past. But here's Simeon, and he holds fulfillment in his arms, and he says this fulfillment speaks in two directions. God puts words on my tongue to pronounce in the middle of the temple that everything that happens in this temple, everything that is here today, which has been foretold for so many centuries past, is here fulfilled in the Christ. In another sense... He represents all of humanity. Verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. All of humanity is here to receive this salvation. And he represents that. I want you to notice three words in that simple verse. Servant, peace, salvation. A song opens with this picture of a servant released from a task. 
Not that the servant desires to be released from God's sovereignty, but having fulfilled the duty for which God set him apart, Christ arrives and Simeon can step down from his post. Peace. You might presume, as many have done, that he's saying, well, now I can go die in peace, rest in peace, like people say at a funeral. But Luke says absolutely nothing about his age. He says nothing about his sense of wanting to retire. He's not talking about peace as if it is unique to him alone. He's talking about peace that's offered for you and for me. Simeon says, my peace comes from the fact that in my arms is evidence that God always comes through with the things that he says he'd do. So much of Messiah meant to Old Testament believers this, that in Christ, I got proof that God really will accomplish the things he said he'd accomplish. And then there's this word salvation. Faithful Jews like Simeon thought of salvation as deliverance. How do we know that? You think back on the book of Exodus. They were delivered out of bondage to Pharaoh without ever drawing a sword. They were delivered across the Red Sea without ever having a boat. They were delivered from hunger and thirst when they didn't have food and water. And so for them, in very physical ways, salvation meant deliverance. And it was always deliverance, which was based on God and His works alone. But they had no idea how big God meant deliverance to be. Which is why John the Baptist's father, Zebedee, sang in Luke chapter 1, verse 71 and 74 of being saved from our enemies, of being delivered from our enemies. And all of those Old Testament deliverances were meant to point to a greater deliverance of, from a greater enemy. Simeon's song actually prophesies a deliverance from sin but not just for the nation of Israel. In this song, the good news of of total deliverance offered becomes global. Verse 31, salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's like the, the whole world was actually God's stage where the glory of salvation was meant to be revealed. And Simeon says, you know, when God called Abraham and saved Israel from Egypt, it was as if he turned on the lights on one side of the stage. And then through the prophets, God turned up the light to say there's a a king coming who will save his people. But here, Simeon holds the Christ And he acknowledges that this Christ actually vindicates everything that that light was meant to show forth. It's fulfilled here. But then he says this Christ also turns on the light on the other side of the stage. For the rest of the world who've been sitting in darkness. Those who didn't know the Lord and didn't know his law and didn't know his prophets in Christ. God reveals light to them. Simeon sings of peace because he sees salvation. But let's be really clear. It's not just a song about evangelism. Come see and hold Christ in your heart and you will find peace like Simeon. That is completely true. But what does this say to those who've already come to see Christ? 
to know him as Savior. Well, it's still a word of comfort. It's still a word of consolation to your soul. Because if your eyes have seen Christ, then you have seen a seal of certainty that God's works always come to fulfillment. Salvation and sins forgiven, but more than that, much more, there's actually a victorious end to this story. A victorious end for your story, for mine, certainly the cosmic story of history. So that in whatever ways you grieve, in whatever ways your soul longs for comfort and for peace, whatever lesser things you have looked to and settled for in the past, Simeon says there's actually a promise of so much more comfort coming. Simeon holding baby Jesus preaches a sermon to you. He says, God will right every wrong. He will bind up everything that is broken. He will heal everything that is sick. He will wipe away every tear. And he will console you in the places where others have sinned against you. And praise God, he will console others for what you have done to them. And in the end, it'll be so perfect that you will not have even the faintest desire or capacity to sin. If you know your own heart, then you, real, you realize why this matters so much. That's what this song is about. Simeon says when you experience this comfort of God's works fulfilled, you, you rest in peace, but not just for death for life we've looked at the setting in the song we're going to close with a stone I thought about calling this last point the sword because of what Simeon says to Mary in fact at the foot of the cross when watching her own son die her own soul will be pierced with pain as she watches her son suffer and yet Jesus on that cross is going to die as much to save her as he will to die to save any of the rest of us from our own sins. Now if you take that portion of verse 25 and those brackets out, you can set that point aside acknowledging that it's important but there's a bigger point. In the song's first verse, Simeon blessed God. And now he turns to bless the parents. Look at verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise, the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Skip the brackets. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's like God takes a stone and sets it in the middle of human history so that it becomes impossible to be neutral toward God. And based on this stone and based on how you respond to it, your heart is, is exposed and it's laid bare. Some will trip over it. Some will fall over him and others will build their lives upon him and they will rise. So Simeon grabs hold of Isaiah's words from Isaiah 28, 16 and Psalm 118, 22. And in the New Testament, Simeon is really the first person to say, Jesus is that stone. Simeon's not the last one to say it. 
Jesus is going to say it himself in Matthew 21. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And then Peter, preaching at the the council of religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, says the same thing. Paul repeats it again in Romans chapter 9, verse 33. Peter begins his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, saying the exact same thing. There's a stone. Bible says some people are going to trip over that stone. They will imagine themselves to be strong and powerful and in control, and they would rather rely on their own merits and their own power. And Simeon says, well, those who will trip over this stone will do so because of pride. It's not because of any of the other excuses that they might make. And when they fall, it is a woefully disastrous ruin. Because full of self-certainty, they looked at the Christ and they swelled with pride and they said, I don't need him. I don't need to take refuge in him. That's for weak people who do not have the internal strength that I have. That's the whole point of the second verse of this song. God placed Jesus, the rock of salvation, squarely in the middle of human history so that it's impossible to be neutral toward God. One pastor said it this way. Jesus exposes what is really in your heart. If you're truly humbled by your sin, then you will see your need for grace and be drawn to Jesus who will make you rise to glory. In fact, the same word that Simeon uses for rising is used later in the New Testament to explain resurrection. Everyone who believes in Jesus will rise to heaven to the glory of God. Now, how do you respond to Christ? Will you choose your own ruin because you were so self-certain that you just didn't need Him? Or will you look at this rock of salvation and treasure Him and build your whole life upon Him? That's actually the offer of Christmas, isn't it? To know and see your own sin to know and see your own need for God's grace, will you, like Simeon, treasure the Christ? And when you see him and experience the comfort of God's works fulfilled, then you can rest in peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would truly and really comfort your people. Give us true and real peace in him. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the advent, his coming. And Father, we pray that you would receive our worship and meet us through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.